I am excited about sharing with Pastor Louie. Uh, ask me how I feel after, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll know for sure. But uh, in case you don't know who we are, uh, Pastor Louie is lead pastor-elect at the Neighborhood Church, and on March 30th, I, no, March 29th, I'm making the last decision of my life, and uh, you can become the decision maker, just looking forward to that, believe. Uh, it's going to be a good, good time for, for our church, and uh, we pray for you regularly and believe God to just use you mightily. Uh, this is our third and final message in our series on Jesus, on who Jesus is. And so far we have uh, come to a couple of points, and I think you should be remembering them if you were here. First of all, Jesus is the eternal, all-powerful creator God. Jesus is the eternal, all-powerful creator God. Uh, Jesus was before Christianity. Jesus was before Christmas, and Jesus was before creation. Jesus is eternal. Jesus didn't, was, didn't come into existence uh, in a manger in Bethlehem. Jesus is the eternal, all-powerful creator God. And then last week, we talked about Jesus is the exact expression of God. If you want to know what God looks like, not what the Father looks like. If you want to know what God looks like, Jesus is the exact expression of God. Exact expression of the fullness of God. Get to know Jesus, you will know what God uh, is like. And so today, uh, we're going to add a third point and we'll kind of pass it back and forth and chat our way through it. Uh, not ready for that point yet. Uh, let's uh, bow our heads and just pray and ask the Lord to be with us. Ah, Father, thank you. Thank you. Pastor Louie and I can both talk, Father, but nobody here needs to hear our voice. They need to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. So come, <laughs> come and teach us, come enlighten us now, come convince us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. So in a moment we'll throw the third point up. Those of you who are looking at the screen probably already know it, but uh, I want to make this clear. Once we've got the third point up and we've talked about the third point, I don't want any of you to leave here thinking, well, now I know all about Jesus. What you really know is about a drop in the five oceans of the world of Jesus. You, you understand maybe a little bit more and a little bit more clearly, but don't leave this series saying, boy, our church taught me everything I need to know about Jesus. Keep, keep digging, keep learning, keep exploring. 
uh, keep understanding the fullness of God. So tonight, uh, point number three, thank you, Ashley. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the head. Of, this is such an important point that it's not only the main point, it's a sub-point tonight. Jesus is the head of the church. So I was uh, sleeping, and it was Thursday night, maybe, maybe Wednesday night, and I woke up, and I had this verse running through my heart. It's from Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 18. Jesus is talking to Peter. And in Matthew 16 and verse number 18, he says, I will build my church. I will build my church. And I've been walking with the Lord and pastoring for a few years, and I know when he's talking to me like that in the middle of the night that it's something I'm supposed to be talking about on the weekend. Jesus is the head of the church, and he has said, I will build my church. He's not building your church. He's not building my church. He's not building Pope Francis's church. He's not building Joseph Smith's church. He is building his church. I will build my church. And he's been very successful at it. He's been very successful at it. <laughs> Started with 12 guys from Palestine, hang out around the Sea of Galilee area. And now 2,000, almost 2,000 years later, the church still exists. And it exists all around the world. It's the oldest organization in the world. There's not an organization in the world that existed 2,000 years ago, except the church still functioning. Might be records of it in some encyclopedias, and you can Google about it. But the church is almost 2,000 years. He's built his church, and his church is surviving. Brill Handbook of Contemporary Religion tells us that there are 30,000 churches in Canada. He's built quite the church. This is just Canada, friends. 30,000 churches in Canada. Yeah. 3,587 Tim Hortons. And everybody thinks Tim Hortons is a big deal. I tell you, the church of Jesus Christ is the real deal. The church of Jesus Christ is the big deal. He is building his church. Eleven thousand eight hundred and thirty-nine gas stations and thirty thousand churches. Churches are everywhere, friends. 
We notice the gas stations, and then we kind of think we're part of this little insignificant thing that we kind of have to not tell too many people about because it's not much. It's the church of the Lord, and it is thriving. It is successful. The Lord is building his church. I will build my church. On that screen is a picture of my dad and mom, and that's how we used to dress when we were 11 and 10 when we went to church. See my nice suit? Um, We're standing outside of the church my mom and dad pioneered in Calgary. My two oldest sisters. We, uh, watched as my, uh, dad worked hard and dad put in a lot of hours building that church after supper and Saturdays. Watched dad work hard. And after about 10 years, we finally had 40 or 50 people attending and And by 1972, 71, 10 years after he started it, we were running 150 on Sunday morning. The Lord built that church through dad, used dad, but God's been building his church. Next slide. Uh, Dad, before he built the church, built that house beside it so we'd have a place to live. 1971, Averaging 150 people out on Sunday mornings, Dad resigned and handed it over to a friend to lead. Don and I were married a couple of years, uh, no more, six years or so, I guess, five. Evan was two or three years of age. I remember the weekend well, because I took him in the hot tub before church on Sunday morning. We were holidaying in Calgary. And there was a guy in the hot tub who had just uh, won some belt in boxing the night before. He was bruised. His eyes were swollen. And it's about 10 o'clock in the morning. He's got a beer in the hot tub. Um, And Evan just thought that was terrible. And even though he'd knocked guys out the night before, Evan says, you shouldn't be drinking beer. Um, So I remember the morning clearly. I have it in my timeline because I remember Evan's youthful exuberance to stand up for his dad's convictions. And then uh, we went to church. And that's what the church looked like 10 years later. In the morning we went there, we were a little bit late to church because uh, we'd spent too much time in the hot tub. They had to go find extra chairs for us to sit on in the second service. Running 450, 20 years after. The Lord has always been building his church. Always been building his church. He's done it well. He's done it successfully. So, uh, your turn. My turn. Yeah. Amen. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it, Jesus said. We, we don't have to fear. Uh, 
Well, as we there's nothing as successful as a church that anybody in this room is involved in. Amen. <laughs> you want to hang around with something that's successful, get connected to your church, give time and energy to it. This thing is going to last forever. You better talk. All right. <laughs> well, point number uh, two. Uh, neighborhood is that uh, ties in very much with point number one, but Jesus is the head of the church. Um, what, what does that mean? What does that mean that he's the head of the church? Um, Colossians chapter one, verses 15 to 18. Paul writes these words. He says, says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. That connects back to uh, week one, talking about the fact that Jesus is the uh, exact representation of God. And then he carries on. He says, He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For, though, for through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we see and the things we cannot see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. And that connects with what we also heard from Pastor John in this series, that he is creator God. And then Paul says, Christ is also the head of the church which is his body. In, uh, in Colossians here, we see that the church and the universe are both kind of governed under one divine administration. Jesus, who is king of kings and lord of lords, is king of all creation and king of the earth, and he's the head of the church. He's in charge. Then there's another scripture in Ephesians 5. And it's this, uh, it's this scripture about husbands and wives, but it's kind of really this scripture about Jesus and the church. And Paul writes in this portion of scripture, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands, to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for the body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the? Church. And the church. Oh. And again here, we see this understanding that, that Christ is the, the head of the church and that we, the gathered people of Christ, are the body, um, which are actually going to be the two points that I'm going to be kind of teaching on today. So what does it mean that Christ is the head of the church? Headship in these passages, as it's talking about Christ as the head of the church, is talking about authority. We say that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And that term Lord is actually a, a term of authority, right? I, uh, I often like to say, and you've maybe heard me say it before, and you'll likely hear me say it again, that I like to live my life as an adventure in saying yes to Jesus. Uh, another way I kind of phrase it is, Jesus, my answer is yes. Just help me clearly understand what you're asking. Because if he's my Lord, he is the one who has authority over my life. I submit to his will. I don't try to get him to submit to, to my will. Mm -hmm. Jesus 
If he is actually the Lord of our lives, if that is a true statement, then what we're saying is that he's the authority over our lives. And Christ as the head of the church is the authority over the church. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus gives the church, gives us our marching orders. And he says authority, all authority. Again, we're back to this authority language, right? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says. And then he gives us our orders. There he says, therefore you, you go, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. I'm the authority, and I'm telling you to go. I'm telling you to make disciples. I'm telling you to baptize, and I'm telling you to obey everything I've commanded and teach others to obey everything I've commanded. These are not suggestions. You know, this isn't Jesus, okay, here's a couple thoughts, maybe you should try. This is obeying the commands that Jesus has given to us. He is the head. Christ is the authority, and commands are commands. Right? They're not, well, maybe you should have, or suggestions. Christ is in charge of his church. In, uh, in August of uh, 1994, a Korean plane for one of the Korean airlines uh, kind of crash landed, and it slid across this uh, rain-soaked runway, and it smashed into this barricade, and then they quickly e evacuated the 160 passengers, and, and thankfully, all 160 passengers just got off the plane as the plane literally burst into flames. What caused this crazy accident? The news reporters reported that the pilot and co-pilot got into a fist fight in the cabin about who was in charge of the landing mechanism. I'm in charge, I'm in charge, I'm in charge. I, 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 me, I, <laughs> Sounds like a crazy story, right? Pilot and co-pilot fighting over who's in charge. But something similar sometimes happens within the local church. Right. Especially when it's about my preferences, because just so you know, I like my preferences. And we get into silly fights over silly things. What kind of music should we have? Well, the music I like, the music I like, the music I like, the music I like, and we fight. What kind of preaching? Who do you want to listen to? Pastor John, Pastor Louis? Ah! Dare not ask what color we want the carpet. <laughs> was easier when they were always red. <laughs> <laughs> I pastored a church with a red carpet. We tore it out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's guys like you who've created all these problems. <laughs> How we do things here at the neighborhood ultimately isn't going to be about your preference. And it's not going to be about my preference. It's first about obeying Jesus' commands and doing what he's asking us to do today in 2024. He's the authority. Jesus is the head of the church. Now, he put in place pastors and deacons and elders, and he put together a, a structure that, that we have other uh, sub-authorities, but ultimately, Jesus is the head of the church, and Jesus is the authority. Yeah. Pastor John? It's, it's really important we come to grips with this. It's really important as a church that we have really solid theology because ultimately our theology becomes our methodology. Ultimately our theology becomes our methodology. 
In other words, what we believe becomes what we do. And if we are silly enough to believe that the church is a democracy and how we decide what happens around here is we vote, we're going to end up following man's will and man's desires unless we're a really, really, really prayerful spirit-led bunch. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Third point, uh, Jesus nourishes and cherishes the church. Ephesians chapter uh, 5, I think it is, in verse number 29. No one ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. What does Jesus do with the church? He nourishes it and he cherishes it. The only safe leader in any organization is a leader who loves and cares for the organization. It's the only safe leader. It's the only safe leader. Jesus loves, nourishes, cherishes the church. My mom told me, and I have no reason to doubt her, that the first Sunday I was on earth, I was in church. And I haven't missed a whole lot of Sundays since then. When Sunday comes, we find a church to get to. When we're on holidays, we go to church. I think I've walked through life, even the dark times, the troublesome times, the difficult times, I've walked through the dark times, the hard times, with a sense of security and confidence because since the first Sunday of my life, <laughs> I've been hanging out with the one. <laughs> who nourishes and cherishes me. You see, I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together. Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves us deeply. Jesus loves and nourishes the church. Uh, it ought to be a foundational strength of your life. I left home when I was 17 years old and two months. Uh, I have not lived at home since, except for four months when I was doing a ministry internship in uh, Thunder Bay, Ontario, and the church dad was pastoring. When I left home, I moved to Edmonton, which was about an hour and a quarter from home settled in Killarney Pentecostal Church. Grateful for that experience. Grateful, grateful, grateful. 
I had a job, I worked Monday to Friday, I had some friends, but not a lot of friends those first few months I was in the city. And I remember every Sunday night after the service ended, pastor would call everybody to come forward and pray. Of course, not everybody came, but I did. Um, and I knelt at the edge of the altar, right on the platform, went right to the platform. And week after week after week, I'm talking probably about two months of weeks, I would get on my knees and I would weep before the Father because I felt not ready for what was ahead of me. I felt lonely. I felt alone. I felt over-challenged. And week after week, I experienced the nourishing, cherishing touch of God. Jesus loves you. He really, really does. He cherishes you. You matter to him. He wants to nourish you, make sure you've got all the right vitamins, everything you need to be strong and healthy. He loves and nourishes uh, the church. There's a narrative banging around the Christian church uh, lately, the last couple of decades. It's become more common. I hear people say, I, uh, I love Jesus, but I'm not interested in the church. I love Jesus, but I'm not interested in the church. How can you love someone and not care about what they care about deeply? How can you love someone and not care about what they care about deeply? Jesus loves and nourishes the church. Jesus gave his life for the church. Um, he loves it, and uh, I would suggest to all of us this evening we should love it too. Back to you. Amen. I, uh, I often... Uh I often talk about the idea that, uh, because the church is also called the Bride of Christ, and, uh, you know, don't, don't tell me that you love me, but you can't stand my wife. If you, yeah. if you do that, you might need to wear a helmet. <laughs> but the reality is, is that he cherishes and cares for, and that idea, even in the Ephesians packet, passage, um, he, he's making a bride that's spotless, without blemish. He, he has this desire to care for us uh, as the gathered body. Um, the fourth and final point for tonight is this. The church is the body of Christ, the present-day extension of Jesus. You and I, as the gathered believers of Jesus, are the body of Christ, and we are the present-day extension of Jesus. The Apostle Paul sees the church as kind of a larger uh, incarnation of Christ, a larger manifestation of Jesus himself. And just as Jesus once appeared in a, in a physical body, he now dwells in the church by the Spirit and uses us, his members, uh, to manifest himself 
uh, to this world to help accomplish his work, his will, and to accomplish his great mission. We call it the co-mission because he co-missioned us into it, but it's his great mission that go make, baptize, and teach people to obey all that I've commanded you. Uh, so neighborhood church, I want you to know you're the body of Christ today in 2024. And we've seen this already spelled out in the Colossians and Ephesians passage I read earlier. And Paul talks about it again in Corinthians. And in Corinthians, Paul says, chapter 12, verses 12, and then 14 to 20, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand. Does that make it any less a part of the body? And if an ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. Every one of us um, here tonight are different. Different backgrounds, different personalities, different skills, different gifts. Every one of us, different likes. Some of us have different hairdos. Different. No hairdo at all. We're each different parts of the body, but every one of us is valuable. Every one of us is needed, and every one of us are needed if we're going to be a complete body. I love verse 19 there. How strange. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. And sometimes in the church world, that's what we do. We kind of section ourselves off by odd little side thoughts or theologies or, or non-essential ideas together altogether. How strange. How strange would it be if the body just had one part. I also think how strange it would be to think that a body uh, from neck down could survive without the head. Or how strange it would be to see, a, 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 think a, a limb or a part of your body could, it be, could live when it's detached from the body. A person often calls themselves a Christian, or lots of people sometimes today call themselves Christians, but somehow they're not connected to a local church. In my brain, it's like a decapitated body or an amputated body part. <laughs> Wikipedia uh, says decapitation, talks about separation of the head from the body. And then the second line says this, such an injury is inevitably fatal to humans and most other animals. I want to figure out which animals uh, that it's not fatal to, but if we're a body, if we're the body of Christ, we're supposed to be connected to other body parts, and we're together to be connected to the head, or it's inevitably fatal, I think. Yeah. Different people from different places with different skills, abilities, likes, dislikes, giftings, ages, all gather together under the authority of Christ. All different, and yet we all come together and submit to Jesus as Lord and Jesus as the head of the church his authority. The Apostle Paul, seeing the church as the social and relational uh, organism, indwelt by Christ through the Spirit, and called to continue the work of Christ as an extension of Jesus. See, the body is a servant to the head. It's powerless without the head giving it direction. 
Christ is the head of us, the gathered followers of Christ, the body. One author I read this week uh, said this. He said, it is at his, Jesus' bidding, that the church must live and move. Without him, the church cannot think the truth, cannot act correctly, and cannot decide its direction. We are under his authority, his body, but we are an extension of him to the world today. I think it's actually a privilege that we here at the Neighborhood Church get to be an instrument of which Christ works through in 2024. You and I are the hands and feet of Jesus. I pray you don't amputate yourself or don't amputate your part of the body by removing yourself from the church. Don't decapitate the body of Christ from the head. I pray that even despite our differences, we'd commit to living life and doing life together and to seeing ourselves, each and every one of us, as vital members, vital body parts, vital organs of the body of Christ, and that we would see the body of Christ as, as the Apostle Paul sees it, as this larger um, incarnation of Christ, this larger manifestation of Christ. And I pray that we'd also see it the way Jesus sees it, as his dear bride. We're here today as the body of Christ himself to make a real impact in our world today for Christ himself. Oh, thank you. Good stuff. Jesus, the uh, all-powerful, eternal creator God, Jesus, the exact representation of God, and Jesus, the head of the church. There's a quote attributed to Reverend Sam Pascal. It's, it's actually kind of a mini uh, history of the church down through the last uh, two centuries. Uh, Reverend Sam Pascal. Uh, said this, Christianity started in Palestine as a fellowship, moved to Greece and became a philosophy, spread to Italy and became an institution, spread to Europe and became a culture, and landed in North America and became an enterprise. Was taught in a school of ministry and the guy who was teaching it to 18, 17, 18, 19 year olds wanted to make sure they understood the word enterprise. So he said, when it came to North America, it became an enterprise. Enterprise, it became a business. There was a bit of uh, quietness over the classroom. And then uh, the youngest girl in the class, her name was Martha, raised her hand. And the prof uh, said, yes, uh, Martha. 
and uh, she said, I, I thought the church was Christ's body. I thought the church was Christ's body. And the professor uh, said, yes, you're right, Martha. And Martha said this. When a body becomes a business, isn't it a prostitute? When a body becomes a business, isn't it a prostitute? Friends, Let's never allow the church of Jesus Christ, loved and cherished and nourished by him, the church Jesus died for, to become anything less than this vibrant body <laughs> in which he is the head. Let's never allow it to become anything less. Could I invite us to just stand? And uh, across this auditorium, can you just pray? for a minute or so and just ask the Lord to be the head of this church and the only way he can be the head of this church is if we're letting him be the head of our own lives. Across the sanctuary, just, just pray. No music, no nothing, just you and Jesus. Just pray, just pray. Pastor Louis, why don't you just lead us in prayer and commit the teaching of the last three weeks, but particularly the teaching of tonight, into the Lord's safekeeping. Precious Father, we, uh, just at this moment, want to be mindful of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. Lord, may we be mindful that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God, the perfect representation. May we be mindful 
that Jesus is also creator God. The Lamb of God, the sacrifice for our sins and creator. And Lord, tonight, there's so much more that could be said, but Lord, I pray that you'd be speaking to each and every one of us as individuals. Help us to have a grander understanding of the reality that Jesus, you are the head of the church, and we, the gathered, assembled followers, believers, disciples, are your body. Lord, you're the authority figure. And you've called us to be obedient to your commands and to teach others to be obedient to your commands. And as we go forward as a church into 2024 and beyond, Lord, may you always be on the throne of our lives as individuals and on the throne of this church. May you always be the head. May you always be answering, Jesus, our answer as a church at Neighborhood is yes. Whatever you say, our answer is yes. Help us to just clearly discern the question you're asking for today, for this season, for this moment. May these truths be very real to us, and may we, the followers, the disciples of Jesus, know him as Lord, know him as the head of the church, know him as the authority figure in our lives. Lord, we pray this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.